0: Many of you probably know, or at least learned at some point, the traditional morning offering, where I offer all my prayers, works, joys, sufferings of the day, in union with the, the Mass, and for all those various intentions, right? The salvation of souls, reparation for sins, reunion of all Christians. And at the end of that prayer, after them, in particular for those recommend, intentions recommended by our Holy Father this month. Some of you remember that prayer or say it even of course, um, much like the Preventant Act taught by Luisa, it's a great way to start your day off on the right foot, so to speak. But I wanted to bring it up because in God's providence, the Holy Father gives us a particular intention to pray for each month. And Pope Francis' prayer intention for March 2018 is for formation in spiritual discernment that the Church may appreciate the urgency of formation and spiritual discernment, both on the personal and communitarian levels. In the video promoting the theme, released March 2nd, the Holy Father stressed that in the midst of all the things we hear and the messages that we get, we must learn how to discern what Christ is asking. To do this, we must have good formation based on discerning the voice of the Lord. The church today needs to grow in the ability of spiritual discernment. We were created by God and to love, out of love. And we need to grow in our ability to understand how God speaks, how he calls us, so that we can carry out his mission. And the times we live demand that we develop a profound capacity of discernment because there are so many voices out there that make it harder to hear the Lord's voice, the voice of him who guides us, the one who is the way, the truth, and the life, who calls us to use our lives in service, And this is a frequent topic also in the writings of Louisa. Discernment in connection with that goal of acting in the divine will. Because by definition, something cannot be an act in the divine will if it's contrary to God's will. So how do I go about finding God's will? hence the need for discernment. And the expert on discernment is St. Ignatius of Loyola. It's also on my mind. I think I might have mentioned how I just finished giving an Ignatian retreat this week. And so this morning, I want to explore this topic of discernment and then decision-making. But to do so, we need to know a little of the backstory of St. Ignatius of his own conversion that led to him writing his famous spiritual exercises and his rules for the discernment of spirits. And then we can come to understand a little more of the concepts of consolation and desolation and the guidelines he gives for finding God's will into the decisions we make. Until age 30, Ignatius spent his years at court as a, and as a soldier But in battle in 1521, he was hit by a cannonball, which wounded one of his legs and broke the other. Heavily injured, he returned to his family home, which was the castle. And he had several surgical operations there on his legs, operations which would have been very painful in those days before anesthetics. As Ignatius convalesced during his long recovery, something happened to him which I'll describe by quoting from the life of St. Ignatius. Ignatius was passionately fond of reading worldly books of fiction and tales of knight-errantry. When he felt he was getting better from his wound he had received in battle, he asked for some of these books to pass the time. But no books of that sort could be found in the house. Instead, they gave him a life of Christ and a collection of the lives of the saints written in Spanish. By constantly reading these books, he began to be attracted to what he found narrated there. Sometimes in the midst of his reading, he would reflect on what he had read. Yet at other times, he would dwell on the many things he had been accustomed to dwell on previously. And at this point, our Lord came to his assistance, ensuring that these thoughts were followed by others which arose from his his current reading. While reading the life of Christ or lives of the saints, he would reflect and reason with himself. What if I should do what St. Francis or St. Dominic did? In this way, he left his mind dwell on many thoughts. They lasted a while until other things took their place. Then those vain and worldly images would come into his mind and remain a long time. But there was a difference. When Ignatius reflected on worldly thoughts, he felt intense pleasure. But when he gave them up out of weariness, He felt dry and depressed. Yet when he thought of living the rigorous sort of life he knew the saints had lived, he not only experienced pleasure when he actually thought about it, but even after he dismissed those thoughts, he still experienced great joy. Yet he did not pay attention to this, nor did he appreciate it, until one day, in a moment of insight, he began to marvel at the difference. Then he understood his experience. Thoughts of one kind left him sad, the others full of joy. To summarize, during his recuperation, the only books he had access to were The the Life of Christ and The Golden Legend, which was a collection of biographies of the saints. By applying a reasoning process to his experience that he had when reading these books, he began to formulate what would later become his spiritual exercises. And there he used this experience as an illustration to explain the doctrine he taught on the discernment of spirits, discerning between consolation and desolation. To begin, we have to define what we mean by the word spirits. Because we might think of those interior movements that happen in prayer as caused either by good spirits or evil spirits. Either they are from the Holy Spirit or from the evil one. And this is a truth that we recognize. It's important we know the reality of evil, the fact that we're in a spiritual battle. However, in this case, the term spirits that he uses refer to something broader. The reality that our hearts are divided between good and evil impulses. To call these impulses or movements within a spirit simply recognizes the spiritual dimension to this inner struggle. Thus, they are something more than just a physical movement or a surface feeling we might have. Even deeper than just our thoughts and feelings, consolation and desolation are spiritual movements of the soul. St. Ignatius wants to help us make sense of those experiences we have, to see how it applies to our relationship with God, and more importantly, to make appropriate choices based on those experiences. And so our goal is to become aware and understand the different movements so that we can take action, which quite simply, we receive the good and we reject the bad. So allow me to give a brief definition of each, and then we'll examine each one further. Spiritual consolation is the experience of being on fire with God's love, that we feel impelled to praise, love, and serve God, and help others as best we can. Spiritual consolation encourages and facilitates a deep sense of gratitude for God's faithfulness, mercy, and companionship in our life. In consolation, we feel more alive, and connected to others. Spiritual desolation, in contrast, is an experience of the soul in heavy darkness or turmoil. We are assaulted by all sorts of doubts, bombarded by temptations, admired in self-preoccupations. We are excessively restless and anxious and feel cut off from God and others. Such feelings, in Ignatius' words, move one toward lack of faith, and leave one without hope and without love. God can speak to us through what spiritual writers call consolation. Through consolation, he touches the soul and allows it to be comforted and strengthened by an awareness of his love, his presence, his goodness, his power, or his beauty. This consolation can flow directly from the meanings of the words of a vocal prayer. For instance, a quote of St. Augustine, which states, You have made us for yourself, our Lord, and our heart is restless until it rests in you. Just simply hearing this quote or praying it might boost my hope and confidence, simply because the meaning of the words nourish and revitalize my awareness of God's love and goodness. Consolation. Can also flow from the reflection and pondering involved in mental prayer in our times of meditation. As I read and reflect slowly, prayerfully, for example, on the parable of the prodigal son, I might feel my soul being comforted by that picture of the father embracing the repentant younger brother. That picture of God's love comes to my mind and it gives me a renewed awareness of his mercy and goodness. God is so merciful, I think, to myself, and I feel the warmth of his mercy in my heart. That image and those ideas are mine insofar as they arise in my mind, but they are from God. Insofar as they arose in response to my consideration of God's revelation in an atmosphere of faith and prayer, and especially rooted in his holy word of scripture. Or on another occasion, I could be meditating on the exact same biblical passage and be moved to a deep experience of sorrow for my own sins. When I see that ungrateful rebellion of the prodigal son, I see an image of my own sins and rebellions, and I'm repelled by them. The idea of the ugliness of sin and the feeling of sorrow for my personal sins are again not just my own ideas and feelings. They are a response to God acting through my thoughts as he guides my mind's eye to perceive certain aspects of his truth while I listen to him speaking through, again, his revealed word. Various examples of consolation with St. Ignatius mentions include being inflamed with love for the Lord, being moved to sorrow for one's sins, being moved by the love of the Lord seen in the passion of Christ. He calls consolation every increase of hope, faith, and charity, any interior joy that attracts us to heavenly things and the salvation of one's soul, any interior peace the soul finds in its creator and Lord. In any of these cases, my soul is touched anew and thus nourished and consoled by the truth of who God is for me, of who I am for him. A truth with God communicates to my soul. But this distinction between God speaking and my own ideas is not so clear as we would sometimes like. But here, don't worry. God can speak through the ideas that come to my mind as I turn my attention to him in prayer. He can speak through the desires in my heart often not with audible words, but those words that come from my heart, especially when our prayer is rooted in his word. Note that again that consolations are not just emotions or feelings. There is something deeper, which Ignatius describes as spiritual affection. All those things that influence our thoughts, feelings, desires, and wills. Jesus assures us that any effort we make in prayer will bring grace into our souls, whether we feel it or not. And so remember ASK, ask and you'll receive. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will be opened. But at the same time, we have to remember that we live our entire lives, including our prayer lives, in the light of faith, not just in accordance with what we perceive and feel. So what is the difference between consolation and desolation? Usually these terms refer to that felt presence of God in the soul, consolation, or the absence of that feeling of the presence of God, desolation. By faith, we know God is always thinking of us, always with us, always interested in my life. He's always loving me with a personal, determined love. We know that by faith. But we don't always feel that in our prayer and in our being. In fact, sometimes we can feel an intense and painful emptiness inside. We can feel absolutely no excitement or pleasure at the thought of spiritual things. Sometimes we can feel as dry as a desert even when we're at prayer. Emotionally, I don't want to keep praying. We're like children with doing our homework or eating our vegetables. We know they're good for us. We know we should do it. We just don't feel like doing it. This lack of the felt presence of God, the lack of pleasure or resonance when we're striving to do his will, is usually referred to by spiritual writers as desolation, the contrary of consolation. If you experience desolation, it can come from a variety of sources. And sometimes simply knowing these sources is already a help as we reflect on our personal situation and help strive to identify its source. First, desolation can be our own fault, usually caused by our own sin. We may be inordinately attached to something, some habit, some relationship, some hope, some fear, even some hobby or pastime that may not be evil in itself. Or perhaps we've committed some sin that we have not repented of and confessed. Sooner or later, disordered attachments will interfere with our relationship with God. God loves us too much to let us idolize idolize, idolize anything for too long. If we're following him, when the time is right, he will speak to our conscience about putting that disordered room in our soul back in order. And during that struggle to decide whether or not to obey what he is asking of us, we can experience desolation. Because we all dilly-dally. Our hearts are divided. In this case, we're actually pushing God away. And the desolation can be our fault. This happens frequently in the early stages of the spiritual life, but it can return with a vengeance even after much growth as certain sins attempt to return and reconquer the soul. And it can be hard to identify our disordered attachments. If you're praying consistently, including things like an annual retreat, you do a daily examination of conscience, you go to confession on a regular basis, perhaps even receiving some kind of spiritual direction or have a friend or a group of friends that help you keep spiritually accountable, you're striving to follow the commandments of God and the church, you will begin to recognize these disordered attachments when the Holy Spirit points them out to you. And if you're not following these basic spiritual practices, your desolation may stem from this. And I recommend renewing your commitment to these means for spiritual growth that all the spiritual writers recommend. Second, desolation can flow from our fallen human nature. As we grow into spiritual life and advance in self-knowledge, we begin to see how deep our self-centered tendencies really go. We become aware of how vulnerable we are to temptations of vanity, pride, and sensuality. This can create a disturbance in our relationship with God because we no longer feel worthy of the great love he has for us. We truly love God, we truly want to follow him, But then we resist approaching him because we've discovered we actually don't deserve to be loved so unconditionally, and we begin to stumble. It's like the spouse who has been unfaithful, and even if their spouse would forgive them, they cannot accept that forgiveness themselves. Or we have some sin that we simply can't seem to accept God's mercy. This hurdle has to be faced and overcome in order to become spiritually mature. You've probably already detected the real source of the spiritual reluctance that comes from this struggle. It's a subtle form of pride. The enemy of our souls will seize on this, stir it up, and try to exaggerate it. The truly humble soul responds with its own unworthiness. It responds to its own unworthiness with peace and joy by throwing itself in God's arms with total abandon, totally conscious of its absolute need for God's grace, and contentedly aware of God's delight in showing mercy to his needy children. The deep deep interior resistance so many people experience when it comes to activating this kind of abandonment shows just how difficult the virtue of humility really is. It's the bedrock of the spiritual life, the digging, but digging foundations is never fun. You can do it, though. Read the lives of the saints, especially St. Saint Therese of Lisieux's Story of a Soul or St. Faustina's Diary. Read the Psalms and get on your knees in front of the Eucharist, simply learning to trust more deeply in God's goodness by exercising whatever level of trust you can as you gaze at our Lord, who has chosen to be there for you no matter what. Finally, desolation can flow from the divine physician himself, God's direct action on the soul. God can take away the consolation of his presence without actually taking away his presence. This is a method he used to purify the soul and increase the soul's capacity for love. If you keep following God's will in your life, even when you're passing through a dark valley, you will emerge with a much more mature faith, a more vibrant hope, and a deeper love. These theological virtues unite the soul to God, and union with God is what we were created for and what God yearns for you to achieve and deepen. So when he takes away interior consolation in this way, you can rest assured that his wisdom and goodness will permit you when you've emerged from the darkness, to undergo greater consolations than you ever imagined. Because your soul's capacity to experience God will have been increased by God directly. These periods of purification are often called the dark night of the soul. Although they can occur in the senses or the intellect as well. This is when God, the doctor of your soul, lays you open on that spiritual operating table and takes direct action. Your job in this case is to trust and endure by perseverance, continuing to seek and embrace God's will in your life, continuing to follow the commandments, the duties you your state in life, those spiritual practices you are committed to, etc. So hopefully that gives you a little bit of an idea about the difference between consolation and desolation. But I haven't really told you what to do with them when they occur. (laughs) To review the very first step in discernment is being aware. It's why it's so important we have times of silence and prayer because if we're only focused on externals and distractions, we will not be aware of what's going on within me. I will not have that uh, internal awareness of God's presence. Deliberately seeking to meet God by faithfully spending time in daily prayer, we can be more attentive to what God is doing in me, where he is leading me, and be prepared to respond. St. Ignatius encouraged us to begin our prayer times by just first placing ourselves in God's presence. And then asking God for what we wish and desire. What do you seek? What do you desire? Desire itself is a gift of God, a way to encounter our Lord. It can help us focus, be consistent, and set aside distractions. And, of course, do not forget to ask him for the gift of prayer. That he wants to help us to pray. Tell God about what you want, especially when you want him. The second step after awareness is gaining understanding. And that is, what is my reaction to this experience? We gain insight by evaluating what we are feeling in our heart and see what thoughts are accompanying or causing those feelings, like St. Ignatius did when he read those books about Christ and the saints. If you experience a strong desire in your heart, it could very well be a call from God. If you experience a desolation, ask the Lord to help you see where it's coming from. Is this caused by my own selfishness or lack of trust? Or is it from the enemy or my concupiscence? The final step, St. Ignatius says, after being aware and seeking to gain understanding, is to take action, which is to simply accept or reject. As St. Paul summarized in Romans twelve nine, hate what is evil, cling to what is good. If this is something that is not leading me to a deeper faith, hope, and love, then I must reject it. If something has become an obstacle in my life to my relationship with God, I must remove it. But when the Lord sends us gifts and desires, we respond by accepting them, making use of what the Lord gives. If we're facing a decision and he gives a consolation like courage, peace, or perspective, then we step forward in trust. We recognize the help he gives and put it to work. So what do we do in consolation? St. Ignatius gives a very simple principle. Think about what we're going to do during the next time of desolation, which will come. Knowing that consolation that we have now is an opportunity to take strength for those times when we will not, because they don't last forever. And so if you've received any graces on this retreat, Ignatius says we need to store them up, as that will be a strength for us in future trials. The image I have as I drive around Nebraska and see how they're building all of these huge grain elevators. I think there's a parable about that too. But. but this is an image for me, what Ignatius is talking about. Build yourself a Nebraska-sized grace bin to store up all those graces that you'll need later. What do we do in desolation? The simple principle is not to change. It's to be firm and constant. To not let us be swayed by our feelings and emotions. Rather to persevere in the spiritual practices we've determined for ourselves. Exactly as you would have acted if, if you were in consolation. During desolation is not when we're to make a change or decision unless that decision is to intensify our fight against it by simply insisting even more on the need for prayer, meditation, examination of conscience, and perhaps some suitable penance. Finally, in desolation, to help us maintain our perseverance, we already take a little consolation, that even though we don't clearly feel it. We know the Lord has not left us without his divine help, We know that we will not be tested beyond our strength. In these moments when prayer is hard, remember that we don't have to do this all on our own. The golden rule of living in the divine will, we desire it and Jesus does all the work. And then be patient in desolation. Because St. Ignatius says we can know they don't last forever either that we will soon be consoled if we continue to use those means to fight the desolation. So this discernment of the spirits of desolation and consolation is good for helping us evaluate what's going on in our prayer life and accept all that's moving me closer to God and reject all that is not. But when most people use the word discernment, They're talking about making a decision, whether a big one, like one's vocation in life, or whether to take a job or to move or not, or those smaller decisions, like the resolutions you're going to make to reform your life after retreat, or finding God's will in the everyday and the ordinary. Well, St. Ignatius in his spiritual exercises also gives a few rules, some tips to help us in our decision-making The first is simply keeping in mind what he calls the first principle and foundation, the end for which I am created. And that is I am created to glorify God and save my soul. And with this presupposition I strive to be completely indifferent in the decision. Not inordinately biased one way or the other. That detachment from my self-will that we've spoken about, such that I will not be more inclined or disposed to take or leave the thing proposed, but find myself as in the middle of a balance. And therefore, I'm open to follow either option once I discover which will be more for the glory and praise of God our Lord and the salvation of my soul. One of my favorite examples of this indifference is seen in a dramatic way in St. Thomas More. And if you've not seen the film A Man for All Seasons, you need to, please. St. Thomas More had it all. Property, fame, honor, health, a family. But when it came to a choice between keeping these things and disobeying God's law, or following God's law and therefore losing these things, For more, it was a slam dunk because he had this interior freedom. He was able to possess and enjoy many created goods without being possessed by them. Unlike most all the bishops of England except St. John Fisher, who renounced their fidelity to the church of God because they were inordinately attached to things like honor, riches, property, and mostly their heads. His decapitation was the alternative choice, <laughs> and so the goal of our prayer is to help us achieve this disposition of being ever more open to God's will, ever more confident that His plan is exactly what is best for me. And remember, God doesn't want to leave you sad and unhappy. He knows exactly what is best for us. And that means if he's asking you to give something up, it's only because he has something even better he wants to give. The next rule, St. Ignatius says, that a choice is only to be made during a time of tranquility. That is a time when the soul is not being agitated by different spirits or in a time of desolation but rather when the soul has that free and peaceful use of its natural powers of intellect and will. Then if God so moves and attracts the will to one choice, we'll be able to follow what has been manifested. If he puts that thought and idea into my mind, I'll be ready to accept it. Thus being indifferent and at peace, I should beg God our Lord to be pleased to move my will, to bring into my mind and put into my soul what I ought to do regarding the thing proposed so that I might understand which will promote his praise and glory. And then Ignatius says you use a reasoning process. I weigh the matter carefully with my intellect. I think about all the pros and cons, the advantages and benefits, the disadvantages and dangers. And then I make a choice, choosing that which appears more reasonable and agreeable to God's holy pleasure and will. A a choice not just based on my feelings or emotion. St. Ignatius gives three ways we might go about meditating on a particular choice in prayer. First is to imagine a person I've never met or known. But I desire this person's holiness and perfection for them to get to heaven. And so I consider what I would tell him or her to do for the greater glory of God and the greater perfection of their soul. Well, we have to keep the same advice I would give to others. I should do the same. The second is to imagine that I'm at the point of death. The procedure and action that I wish I would take have kept in the present choice. After all, how many people on a deathbed are saying things like, I wish I'd watched more Netflix, I wish I'd worked more hours. Rather, what are people saying on their deathbed? Things like, I wish I'd spent more time with my family. Or I wish I'd spent more time in prayer. So guided by the choice I would make on my deathbed, let me make my decision in conformity with it. The final meditation is a little similar. It's the picture and imagine myself on the day of judgment. I'm standing in the presence of my judge on the last day. And I think about how I wish to have deliberated about this present decision. And I see what decision would fill me with more happiness and joy on the day of judgment. Well, then I should choose to act accordingly. And then I would add, to all this, to suggest the importance and value of that spiritual accompaniment and the support of others in decision-making. One may have a spiritual director or a mentor, a regular confessor, or a friend, you're able to have a serious conversation about such things. But when we're making a big decision, we always ask the help of people who know us well, like our family and friends get that input from others is a part of our reasoning process. Having followed these rules of freeing ourselves as much as possible from detachments, not making a change or decision in the midst of desolation, but rather when the soul is at peace, having begged God's assistance, and then exercising our intellect to weigh the pros and cons and the advice we receive from others, Having made the decision in prayer, we can be completely at peace and know this is God's will. Because he guides and uses our decision-making process every step along the way to lead us to the right choice. And we can have a peace to just offer this decision to God as it is for his greater service, and praise, and glory. And keep that peace even though if we are doing God's will, obstacles will come. That's not a sign we made the wrong choice. It could actually be a sign we made the right one. And whether you've come on retreat because you're facing some choice or decision or not, it's always an opportunity to amend and reform one state in life. It's a profitable time to reform your manner of living, to create or change a spiritual plan, to make some small, simple choices to help you attain your end of glorifying God and saving your soul. The Lord calls us to a generous surrender of our self-love, our selfishness and self-centeredness, and instead to generously choose His will, which is always directed toward our having joy, peace, fulfillment, meaning, and happiness in this life and the life to come. The entire goal of any retreat is ultimately to encounter and know how God loves us without limit and how he calls us to generously respond with our love in return. And so if you've experienced this love on this retreat, especially in our meditations on the passion, we can once again say that Sushi Pei prayer of St. Ignatius. Take, Lord, and receive all my liberty, my memory, my understanding, and my entire will, all that I have and possess. You have given all to me. To you, Lord, I return it. All is yours. Do with me what you will. Give me only your love and your grace. That is enough for me. Sushipe is the Latin word for receive. Take and receive, O oh Lord. But this word also occurs in our prayers at every Mass. At the conclusion of the preparation of the gifts in bread and wine, in anticipation of their being transformed into the body and blood of Christ, the priest turns towards the people and says, Pray, brethren, that my sacrifice and yours may be acceptable to God. And you respond, may the Lord receive. Actually, in our translation, we say, may the Lord accept our sacrifice for the praise and glory of his name and for the good of our salvation and for the holiness of the church. And so we'll be doing that in a few moments at Mass, as we should do at every Mass, to take the offering of our time and prayer here, our offering of our generous response to God's love, the offering of all of our resolutions and decisions that we're going to make. We place them here on the altar. Unite them with the sacrifice of Christ on the cross that is being offered here. And know that this is all taken up and received by the Lord as an offering of love united with his will and that this will give him the greatest praise and glory. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen.